Welcome to Marketing Mindshare, the podcast that brings you into the world of the top marketing minds from Fortune 500 companies to scrappy, small and medium-sized business marketers. Together, we'll explore the leading strategies today's marketing leaders deploy. I'm your host, Dean DiCarlo, and now let me take you into the Marketing Mindshare. Perfect. So I'd like to welcome enterprise marketer Brad Zomick to the Marketing Mindshare podcast. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Dean. It's great to be here. So me and you met probably probably even five years ago in a in a co-working space. And uh, I believe at the time you were just getting off of a stint with a, um, a very successful exit of a, a startup that you were working at. And I believe you were leading some type of content marketing um, effort there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I, I, I was, yeah, so, so quite some time ago. I'll zoom out a little bit and right. I can tell that story. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, t- yeah. Tell us a little bit about your career, who you are, what you're about, because I think the audience can just learn a ton from you. Yeah, uh, so I'm an enterprise marketing leader uh, with a focus on early stage tech startups. A lot of that work has been in uh, ed tech or HR tech, and um, I um, I came up in the world of audience development. You know, so about ten, I started my marketing career, which is actually my third career arc. So I was kind of a mid career changer into marketing, and. Um, I started in kind of SEO and content marketing. That's kind of served me very well uh, as I've kind of risen in, in, in the in the ranks of, of like you know to lead marketing teams. And uh, I found as like I guess a content strategist. On like you know on one hand you have your product marketing hat on because you're deeply understanding the buyer and their their pains right. and, and their desires, their journey. Uh, and then on the other hand, you're doing demand generation, getting the getting into the science distribution, having the right message to the right people, the right time. Uh, I've experienced kind of operating super early, kind of, I guess, you know, seed, pre-seed round, almost no revenue to upwards of, you know, in terms of venture funded companies, you know, the, the C round and beyond with 60 million uh, in revenue. Uh, I've been uh, attracted to new categories and products, uh, which is kind of a different, slightly different marketing motion uh, than, um, you know, I'd say established categories, you know, that are mm-hmm. very uh, feature and price driven. I also having, I guess, the benefit of working in ed, ed tech and HR tech uh, have become very into mission oriented companies. I love kind of building the strategy, process, teams, infrastructure, and pipeline. And as you mentioned, I had yeah, definitely kind of uh, two, not one, but two, I guess, fortunate experiences of, of being in the driver's seat and of marketing uh, of, you know, acquisitions, you know, of growing a company to be acquired. The first one that you mentioned was Skilled Up um, that got acquired by Apollo Education Group and then um, Pathgather uh, that got acquired by a company called Degreed. And that was pretty recent, Pathgathered, right? Like, yeah, Pathgather was 2018. I, I, yeah, I think we we met probably a year before that. In between, yeah. Actually, I just I just left a company called PipeDrive, which is a popular uh, sales CRM. I think when we met, right. and I was doing some uh, consulting that and landed me that that uh, that that space that um, co-working space where we met. Yeah, yeah. So 
it's interesting. It seems like you very much, I want to say almost like kind of picked a lane and stuck with it. Has that served you well in your career? And it seems like in that, in that early stage, 2018 and before you would, you'd gravitated towards these e-learning platforms. Was that like yeah, a career I, strategy by you or? <laughs> well, or, or you I think that it, in demand? I know. I think it, it, was, it was a little bit of luck. I think I picked a lane in two respects, like content marketing and SEO at the right time when like at right. 2012 was like the rise of inbound. And I think the, the ed tech vertical, um, that was lucky that I fell into that. And I think um, after doing that, I just kind of enjoyed that. I, I like there's something like when you're basically working on like whether you could, I guess look at it through education or career tech, learning tech, um, at part of like the technology stack and companies like touches people's lives in a different way than say, um, you know, there's a lot of cool marketing softwares out there or machine learning and AI cybersecurity, but I found it to be very rewarding when you're kind of helping people with career growth. And right. I guess I think picking a lane kind of is, I, I, some could argue it's a good thing because you understand a market really well and you can become in demand. You know, there's probably an argument for kind of, you know, doing different things and, and understanding, you know, uh, um, you know, a bunch of different categories and having strong frameworks. I didn't go either way. I, as I, I have worked on a couple of other non-learning tech, you know, pipe drive, and I consulted with some other, you know, CRMs uh, as is now probably a couple of years ago. So yeah, I think you build domain expertise when you stick in one lane, um, which is helpful. Some may perceive it as baggage, <laughs> but uh, right. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I think there's different ways of, of looking at everything, but it served me well. Right, and I was about to say, because it definitely, because you look, you were the VP of marketing of Pathgather, VP of marketing degree to VP market of Forage. So, I mean, obviously there, I think when somebody is pursuing that career in marketing, there's something to be said, I think now more than ever to really, you know, once you feel comfortable in your skill set, right? It's different when you're in your early 20s, you're trying different things. But once you feel comfortable, and for you, it was content marketing and SEO, you were able to kind of then build on the leadership aspects of it, become the domain expert. And uh, it seems like you're a very in-demand guy. It's, it's, it's very obvious to say that you have a track <laughs> record of success. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I, I think it's good to, to, to go all in on, on one skill set and build that expertise. And I think, I, I think I also got lucky it sealed up because it was like, we basically were building a media property to draw traffic to the, it was a search engine for online courses and like the, the search, the basically it was powered by people coming to the blog, looking to learn about careers and job skills and to grow a media property that big. Uh, I think very quickly I had to build a large team, writers, designers, uh, technical SEO, link building, and, you know, um, PR and uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, basically that and editors as well. So we, we had, that was probably maybe one of my biggest teams ever. And I kind of got to kind of fast forward into leadership. I, I, I do think also I, I kind of started marketing later in my career. So I was able to kind of jump quickly, kind of accelerate what, growth, right? So you started later in your career. What was the, the first half of your career? You don't mind yeah, crying yeah. for that. <laughs> no, 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 that's a great uh, question. So I, I was, uh, my first uh, two career arcs, so like there were two separate things that I tried and, and that didn't work out. 
Um, first, uh, I was a in fintech before fintech was cool. So when I first two jobs out of college, were working on these, uh, I guess, CRMs for financial services. You know, basically, this is was a, a specialized CRM for hedge funds. Um, you know, before Salesforce what became popular and and uh, and you know this may date me a little bit, but the, this product was had a SQL Server in the back office and and okay. the the client uh, product on, on someone's computer. <laughs> um, wow! So like I did that for a little while, and I think I, I I didn't like while I was I guess I was arguably doing pretty well for someone my age, but what I didn't love about it is like you know basically I was helping rich people get richer, and then I I decided to grab the bull by the horns, and I decided I wanted to be a, uh, a consultant for foreign companies, wanted to do business in China. I went to business school. I lived in China for a few years. Um, and I actually ultimately oh, got to that role. And, and uh, I got to that role. And when I got there, I didn't I didn't really love it. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it's funny how things end up. I, I think, um, yeah. And and uh, yeah, so That's that went, that basically I was 10 years into my career and I did a reset again. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to wow. do so you did, so you actually lived in China for a few years. Yeah, I lived in China for three years. Interesting. So, are you fluent in Mandarin, or I I, I was like semi fluent at one point. You know, I could read the newspaper. I could kind of go out and chop it up with a bunch of Chinese people. You know, hang out. You know, and have have drinks and hold my own in conversation for, for wow. Yeah, yeah that, hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's definitely like three different, very distinctive careers. Fintech, yes. going to China to do international business, and then coming back to the U.S. and getting into, uh, you know, content marketing for e-learning platforms. Yeah, yeah, and I think actually that the the experience in China kind of awakened me a little bit, like something in my mind that, like, I think in that first part of my career, I kind of got a little complacent. I had like kind of stopped learning new things, and I was, you know, basically go do my job and go home, kind of watch TV, and like, you know. Yeah, you know, go out with my friends on the, on the weekend and uh, yeah, some switch flipped. Like, you know, so while I, my China adventure may have been kind of like a failure in some respects, like pursued a career and, um, and I didn't really have much to show at the end of it, except for, oh, I was rich in life experience. But, you know, when I came back to learn marketing, I was like, all right, well, I learned Chinese in a couple of years. Like I could probably learn marketing. And I, and actually, I think I, I actually had studied marketing undergrad and I just completely did something different now I, I came kind of full wow. circle yeah that's interesting I, i'm impressed that you had the courage and what was this was this like a 10-year span so, yeah basically yeah 10 years between I, when i graduated and when i started pursuing yeah. marketing and that was 10 years ago <laughs> and and i'd imagine so that so like you start getting that's like towards your 30s pretty much and that's an interesting time because a lot of people start getting into very comfortable roles, they're making more money, they're getting um, larger leadership roles. So people get very comfortable. So the fact that you had the courage to say, I need to take a step back and I need to completely change everything. Like that's something that I think, I think is pretty, you know, something to admire. And I think other people would too, knowing that you had the foresight to say, listen, I'm only 30, I can completely change this around. And now for <laughs> yeah. you for another, you know, now it's 10 years later. Now you have literally led multiple companies in marketing. Not only did you learn marketing, but you've led those teams and you've built those teams. It's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, and I, and I would say, you know, it's a cool story, but like the cool thing is we live in an age where 
especially if you want to do something online, if you want to go into a career where you could learn it and do it online. So I think this is anything in digital, you know, programming, engineering, design, digital marketing, you could do a pivot fairly quickly, six, six to 18 months. Um, I got kind of lucky. So, and I actually, I probably, I'll leave out, I left that one part of that story at Skilled Up. So at that point, prior to joining Skilled Up, I actually really wanted to learn marketing. I kind of went at that time, I went basically went to HubSpot and like, someone was like, oh, you should do inbound. And I did inbound academies before. I think now I, they still have it actually, but you have to, you have to be a HubSpot customer to, to get into it. Um, yeah. And it was mostly around kind of like inbound marketing and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. But it was all very theoretical because I was like, oh, I don't have a website. So a lot of these other things I was talking about, like design and engineering, you can code an app. You can design a product in a sandbox. Marketing, you can't do that. So I, I very quickly realized I'm like, oh, I, I need to go work somewhere. And so the story about Skilled Up is like that I, I literally started there as an unpaid intern uh, and, you know, just to get some experience and like they had, it was fortuitous because as like an online course search marketplace that made money off of affiliate kind of marketing fees, you know, we sold a course, they, if they found a, if someone came to our site, found a course and bought it through us, like we'd get 50% of the revenue. And I got to take a lot of those marketing courses and I used it, the website as my jungle gym and, and probably for a good like year and a half, like or a solid year, like I didn't sleep that much. I was like up at six, 7 a.m. to like two in the morning, kind of tinkering and learning and, and doing things. Wow. So yeah, I think, yeah, if someone who's going to do a pivot, you know, yeah, if you have, you better be prepared to kind of, you know. Um, really grind. Grind, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you don't have to do what I did. I mean, you can probably, you know, find opportunities to kind of, do side projects or, or do some free work for somebody on the side or, or, you know, do maybe, you know, some sort of hybrid model, you know, that, that where you're not necessarily like, I went all in, I was like, I'm going to be unpaid for three months. What happened was like, you know, uh, yeah, they quickly realized like I wasn't like the average intern. I became, I went on the payroll, I got equity in the company. And then when we got bought out, I got the PC action. Um, and, nice. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't like a WhatsApp type of, or actually WhatsApp is a small acquisition, but it was like the big acquisition, I think, in that time. But like, it wasn't like the blockbuster, multi-million dollar, multi-billion, I still had to go find a new job. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, like, so, I guess like after that venture ended. <laughs> not not bad for the first time out though in marketing, for sure. Yeah, That's well, it basically got me back to even, I think a little bit because my China adventure and, 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 kind of working for a little while, you know, on kind of a, a lower salary kind of, uh, you know, it, it eats into your savings, but it's like got me back to a level playing field probably. That's good. So, so now you're really focused more on advisor roles now, right? Uh, well, I do both. I would say now uh, I, I do a little bit of everything. I mean, typically I'm between like full-time jobs. So I, I do some consulting. I'm advising a startup. i invested in a couple of startups too um you know I, I might hop back into the driver's seat like at, at a company you know in the not so distant future um but yeah i, I yeah I do a little bit of the, this and that or, or what i can do <laughs> with the limited right. time i have i'm also a dad so how do you balance it all i'm impressed <laughs> once, once you have kids it's hard to balance anything outside of 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 parenting um you know so 
I think that's why most likely I'll end up in some sort of nine to five, um, you know, working, you know, back in kind of a, an enterprise marketing capacity. But I think it's nice to have, it's good to do some things on the side, you know, because it gives you a little bit of like uh, opportunity to, to, to apply frameworks that you have learned, you know, uh, over, right. you know, different projects and um you know roles and stuff and, and that you can do it again because once you, usually once you're in a role you know you, you only have to build the function once that's not true i mean oftentimes you're kind of building it and rebuilding it but um it's a little bit different when you're in-house you know uh and right. it's like you know the, the consulting allows you to do like get fresh perspectives and yeah so absolutely and, feel like yeah. you keep building every, and every, that value Every organization is slightly different. They do things differently, different tech stacks, different kind of values and different ways of operating. So I think the more exposure you can get, if you have the bandwidth to do things on the side, it's a, it's a good opportunity. Absolutely. So let's dive into that a little bit because you're talking about processes. I mean, a lot of times you're going into these organizations, you have to build out the processes and you have to build out these teams, these marketing teams, sometimes from scratch. What, it, what does that process look like in your mind like once you get to that seat and you have to start do, building those things yeah so I've, I've done this i guess a couple of times as like you know like the first marketing hire and um i would say often i think where it starts is trying to kind of i guess in the first kind of quarter with the company being kind of in consumption mode uh just and specifically learning about the audience and and, and the customer and what drives them and what their desires and pains are around what the company does um you know that really tends to power everything else in marketing you know from there you know depending on the situation you know, a lot of these early stage startups tend to have muddled messaging you know they the uh the founder had probably has started the company they had some success with selling maybe they started hiring people and the company got a little bigger and people start talking about the company a little bit differently you know whatever they need to do to sell a deal um so more often than not you know you come in you got to do some positioning and messaging work and and tighten up that kind of uh value proposition uh that positioning gets extended into messaging that lives on the website the value framework that'll power, you know, sales deck um, and, and sales enablement, right? Because I, I do a lot of work in enterprise sales where it's, it's a more complex and nuanced sell, you know, like a high ACV north of, of, of 100K and like a long sales cycle, you know, anywhere from right. you know, three to 12 months, right? So there's a lot of downstream, upstream work in product marketing where a lot of that starts and product marketing essentially just listening to the audience and synthesizing the message, make it tight to to help accelerate, you know, the, the sales cycle. So it's not less of uh, pushing a rock up the hill and 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 more, um, you know, the snowball down the hill, uh, proverbial speaking. <laughs> so so um, right. I, I guess um, from there, I guess once you have that kind of messaging tight. You can splinter some of that some of that core messaging framework into campaign themes that become content artifacts, and um, you know that's when you you know you're building kind of a content strategy and, and new categories. It tends to be a lot of I guess two types of content. I guess like you know the the sky is falling. You know like the the old way of doing things is wrong. Like your articles about kind of like the pain and the cost of the old way of doing things, and then you know, um, uh, you know, compare and, you know, put that side by side with like 
content around the new way of th- doing things or, or tactically like how to do things differently and better uh, that tends to kind of drive a lot of interest. Um, and then from there, uh, so there's that content creation element. Is this, and, so is this all the yeah. things that you're handling right now before you even build the uh, team? No, so, so it depends. So I would okay. say it depends on, on the team. Yeah. So but these are the things that a team is like you should be doing. So I think, you know, like I guess starting with product marketing, like depending on how much, what the remit is and how much budget you have and um, how much commitment there is to kind of to grow and scale the team. You know, if you have budget, you know, you hire a product marketer, but more than that, you still, as, as the first marketer, you need to kind of embed yourself with the customer and start doing some of that early product marketing work. Maybe you'll hire the content marketer. And then, you know, from once you have a bunch of content you and you need to kind of help with distribution, you hire a demand marketer. The, those are the people who are going to run your programs, you know, and distribute content to get that right message to the right people at the right time. And depending on where your audience hangs out, you know, um, you know, maybe that's search marketing. Maybe it's, it's doing some review work in like a G2 or trust radius. Maybe it's LinkedIn, you know, getting that content, you know, paying to get right to the right size company, the right job title. Um, and I think also, yeah, like, I guess that content, just, you know, just backward pedal a little bit, you know, you need some gated content to kind of build your list and, you know, whether that's eBooks, white papers, case studies, webinars, uh, those are a lot of the things that are going into those first, uh, tactics that are happening in the channels. Awesome. Awesome. So for you, you know, when you're the, the typical companies that you're going, you're working for in B2B, your first hire is content person, demand gen, and then really focusing on distribution, like paid media hires or things like that. Yeah, I, I actually think I've kind of revised this a little bit. And like, I would say it depends on the sophistication of the the audience. So super complex sale, it's probably not never a horrible idea to hire a product marketer first, because ultimately, you know, where you're selling a technical product, you know, that takes, you know, could take a couple of months to implement it, or actually it could take six months to sell, you know, a quarter to implement. Um, there's like a lot of nuance in the sales cycle. You know, once you like getting the lead is almost the easy part, you know, selling the project management around selling can be quite a slog, right? So more often than not, the sales team needs a lot of help with, um, talk tracks and enablement artifacts to, to help sell. So I do think in an enterprise sale, like, you know, nowadays, you know, it's probably a good first investment is product marketing and then content uh, and then right. kind of demand gen and ops. And so, I mean, if you're coming in a little bit more mature organization, they might have some of that. So like, you know, it all also depends on kind of, I guess the current kind of headcount and skill set. you know, there, there is like kind of an overlay of like, what do they have today versus you know, what do we need? Absolutely. And, and I would say a lot of my experience is coming in around like the A to B round or yeah, where I would say marketing is typically underinvested. There's, there's a lot of pieces missing. Right. So I'd imagine you'd actually, in that case, then you definitely want to be content driven because you're going to get the most value out of that where paid media is it's really a support vehicle. But as soon as you turn that that knob off, it's, it's really gone. There's no residual benefit where the content it, it's constant, it's organic, it's social. Um, you can use it yeah, in the sales yeah, exactly. buying process. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, like with enterprise specifically, you're often kind of paying to put that content in front of people. Um, right. You know, especially if you're in, like I mentioned, I, I have, you know, tend to gravitate towards new categories of products where there's right. not much of a search play. Um, or there might be, and it's very expensive, but LinkedIn, you kind of short circuit a lot of that and right. pay to get that content run in front of people's face. And, and if the ACV is north of 100K, you know, like the cost of acquisition usually supports that. Whereas I, I think right. when you're selling something that's B2B, but it's on the low end of the market, like a pipe drive product, and it's like, you know, the sale will happen in, in, in maybe two to four weeks. Um, that's when inbound matters a lot in SEO and content. You know, it's a high volume uh like high volume, uh, low ACV, you know, fast purchase. Um, you know, that, that's when kind of like, you know, using that content, driving a lot of SEO, and then to some extent like SEM, you know, a lot of those are typically like established categories, you know, where, where there's SMB, there's something probably that already exists at like the enterprise level. And now, you know, it, there's companies coming to serve the bottom half of the market. Right, makes sense. Um, so all of this, and, and you know, what's keeping the content marketing. So all of this is an effort to really build this content marketing um, funnel strategy. Can you just talk a little bit about the B2B content funnel strategy and just like what is comprised of it, how, how you structure something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think like the content strategies overlay and kind of like the classic funnel, you know, like at the top, you have people like you want to drive awareness. Uh, in the middle, you want to drive interest and in the bottom, you want to support a decision. Right. Um, and then there's something at the bottom there, there there's like, AIG. it's like, intent. I, I've had <laughs> consideration, um, right. Consideration. Yeah. 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 So, so anyways, decision consideration, right. Yeah. So at, at the top of the funnel is often kind of a lot of more abstract, like pieces of content, um, you know, talking about, you know, better ways of doing things like a strategy. So, I mean, there's a million different SaaS verticals and you can just like put in your, whether you're marketing or learning software, there's, there's people who are, uh, you know, essentially having some sort of pain and, you know, wanting to do things differently. And the content strategy at the top of the funnel often revolves around kind of how to do things differently and better, um, you know, and, and, you know, people tend to gravitate that to, to, to solve a problem. Cause often more often than not, when you're selling software as a service, you, you want to solve a problem for people. And at the top of the funnel, you want to write abstractly on like how to do that better. Uh, and most likely your product does that better. Right. So you get these people into your orbit, um, you know, with that type of content. And usually it's like, you know, some abstract problem solving content. And in the middle of the funnel, um, you know, to, uh, I guess, solicit the interest. You want to have some sort of um, artifact, you know, maybe it's like a, a ebook or a webinar. And that's like, I think probably a level deeper. Um, you know, you want to capture the interest and it's, you know, probably, it's probably something not too far off. It's maybe a little bit more tactical in the weeds, you know, uh, right. asset on how to do something specific and that's gated. And that's where you want to capture someone's attention um, and those type of assets, like, you know, webinars and ebooks tend to do really well there. Uh, you know, it, it's not over there because more often than not, people come in for a piece of content, they're not ready to buy. And I think that's, yeah, that, that often when, yeah, there's a, a, a common, or there, I think it's, things are changing, but like, you know, uh, over the years, people have come to, uh, a lot of companies will like just miss 
interpret like a, a content lead as like a ready sales lead is it's not right and i think basically from there you know content strategy should really be around nurturing um and like you know you have people once you have their their contact information in the form of an email you have the right to email them you know uh with some moderate frequency anywhere from like you know once a week to to uh, once a month you know i would say at a minimum but like then you have nurturing content and that i think is more artifacts, you know, to get people um, to create urgency and desire and, and fear of missing out, right? So I think case studies tend to help there. More webinars, but I think that are like actually potentially, if, if you can, customers who are actually doing, you know, or like illustrating like the way things should be done and, and like how they're doing it with that tool. So then, you know, you know, people came to you to solve a problem, then they see other people that are kind of step, have stepped into the future and, and, and solving that problem, you know, through these different, you know, case study and, and maybe another webinar vehicle. And I think, you know, that hopefully creates some desire. And at that point, you know, people uh, may request a demo, right? And, and at that point, like the sales cycle is afoot. And I think the content game's not over. I think more often than not, they're in, especially in a like fairly complex sale, there's more content that like supports that, like use cases for the product, you know, feature briefs, more case studies that are kind of, you know, nuanced. And uh, I, like with enterprise sales specifically, like there are many different complex products that drive value in different ways. And I think just an example is, you know, when I was at Degree and Pathgather, we have this learning experience platform. People would buy the product, you know, for better learning experience, you know, to create a culture of learning um to basically scale learning right and be able to serve multiple people in different ways and then also to to reskill and, and prepare the company for the future so i once you know more about the sales cycle you can give them more of that content that they need um you know and, and to support and, and support the sales cycle and have to close quicker so i think those are like the things that i think about you know in a, in a content strategy and, and depending on the kind of the go-to-market motion and this and the maturity of the the industry, you know, you might be have some SEO opportunities at, at the top and middle of the funnel um, to, you know, do more of like a, a a search strategy. A lot of these, like you know, the newer software is out on the market. Like, there's literally no one looking for that type of stuff. So there's, there's right. often less opportunity to do that. Right. So it's hard to actually optimize against keywords when people, the volume isn't there organically. So exactly. that really, yeah, right. Right. So then I, I guess what's interesting, I mean, there's so many pieces of content that you've just hit on just going down the funnel and they're all so different. So I guess a multimedia approach like that. I mean, some of this is written, some of this is videos or do you value yeah well, i, I think uh yeah it's a great question o over the years like there's been an evolution um you know when i mostly when i, when I was skilled up it, it uh started with written content then i think that was like the dawn of podcasting skilled up we did i did my first podcast and we got that it was a it was called fearless careers uh and, and we tried to do uh it was popular at the time um by by uh, entrepreneur on fire they made this daily podcast that got okay. it blew up and we tried to do not a daily, but like a five days a week. It was a lot to do. Um, so like there, yeah, I guess like audio became really popular. And I think increasingly video is kind of the new medium. Um, and I think, you know, it might be a function of 
people's short attention spans, right? Right. Uh, right. We're so used to kind of, I guess, you know, like think about how many articles you search for and read the first like two sentences and like, nope, not going to work. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so more and more, I think there's, there's, um, you know, video is becoming part of that part of that playbook. The I think there's like uh, it's it's harder to execute on video. I think um, written content, you know, that's probably the cheapest and easiest to do. Uh, audio is fairly affordable. I think there's a, it's a new work stream, but video, I think the threshold for quality is, is way higher. Um, but I do because everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel yeah. like, it, it, and it's not just quality in terms of like, hey, how does this look, but quality in terms of like, what does the content look like? Who are the guests? What is the topics about? Um, that's what that's what I look at because. It's funny. It's like, I see some of the, some of the best podcasters, they have really good quality, but then you look at somebody like, um, like Gary V runs marketing for the now. And it's no different than what me and you are doing right now. It's literally on zoom. He gets a bunch of people together. They throw it together. They put up, and I don't know how large the audience is, but I'd imagine it's really big. I mean, he started that in the <laughs> pandemic. He's still going. So there's gotta be some merit yeah. to keep his time on that, you know? Um, but it's yeah, interesting. Well, well, Gary, Gary V can do probably whatever he wants and he'll have a flock. I think it's like, basically, I think if you're it's like being a great rock band, you can have a bad night yeah. and play the worst set and people will still yeah. love it. Right. Um, I, I think I, I but I, I do think you're right in some respects. Right. I think, you know, you, you don't have, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. I, it's probably harder to do those more like professional kind of like brandy type commercial type things but i think right. we can go a lot uh i think chris walker does a great job of this too like he has his uh dimension live event where yeah um, you know he gets probably i don't know how many i've never been to one live i usually listen to the podcast on, on, on like a recording but he gets probably you know dozens if not like hundreds of marketers to show up every week and interact and he'll put like you know, three to 10 minute video clips on LinkedIn and people are eating it up, right? So I think there's right. like, you know, but I do think the the video quality, the editing, uh, the sound quality, they do matter to, to some Agreed. extent, you know, yeah. Yeah, you I agree. Want some granny, granny sound and, and video. <laughs> it's, it's also easy to do. So it's like, if even if you're gonna, for $250, you could get the camera, the lighting and the microphone and it can be good enough, you know? So it's like, I a hundred percent agree with that. It's just like, make the small investment and at least make it very professional when you're coming out with it. Yeah. I think also it's a, it's a function of prioritization resources. Like I think probably most people think with it's, it's out of reach number one, cause it's like a new work stream. They don't know it. You know, they probably need some sort of, uh, you know, like a strategy like that. Like you need somebody to operate it. So like, if you don't have someone full time to kind of own it, you know, videos don't produce themselves. <laughs> they don't. No, they don't. Um, so yeah, there, there's like a little bit of probably a learning curve and, um, you know, a resource constraint that, you know, probably people tend to think it's out of reach. Um, you know, it's a function of priorities at the end of the day. And if the bandwidth tests new things, you go out and test it, try to make it work, you know, and if it works, you can scale it. Right, right. So when you create all this content, obviously you spend a ton of time on it. How important now, especially if you don't have these massive paid media budgets, like how important is community-based marketing? And you kind of mentioned I mean, like Chris, yeah. you know, I think he's our prime example. I mean, Gary Vee, again, he's a titan of industry, but there are people, even yourself, like I was on your LinkedIn, you have, you get dozens of likes, you get dozens of comments on your, <laughs> on your posts, you do. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so I think it, it, it matters and it, it like um, probably more than it, it used to. I, I think, you know, I think about the evolution of social, you know, like when I go back to like kind of my first foray in marketing, I think social a little bit was, I don't want it was different. It was different than it was today. I mean, it was mostly people using Facebook and Twitter as like a one-way transmission, right? And, uh, you know, few were using it as an engagement tool, Um you know, I, and we did have somebody kind of like trying to interact with people on Twitter, but I think it takes a lot of time to kind of build the audience organically that way. And I think things have evolved since then. Uh, at Pipe Drive, we had a Facebook group that was super active. For, it was for customers, but, you know, there's a lot of communities that exist somewhere, like a Facebook group or a Slack channel. Um, but I think bringing, more importantly, it's like bringing together people for a shared purpose is a meaningful way to put a, hal a halo around your brand. Uh, enterprise companies has probably done a little bit differently. When I was at Degreed, we did a lot of and Pathgather and Forage to some extent. We did like round tables and success labs and events, physical events. That is kind of hard to do these days with COVID. <laughs> People aren't right, like, right. on the event train. Um, but yeah, basically it, it, it depends on the company more. I guess with SMB companies, it's probably trying to bring people to, together virtual. And if you can kind of, you know, Chris Walker does a masterful, masterful job of making his event strategy, a community strategy. Like he really shows up with maybe like 10 minutes of like canned content, things he wants to talk about. And then he just turns it over to the community and they just power the rest of the event with questions. And I think, um, and he's, he's able to kind of like do a great job repurposing all that, you know, it's community. And then it's a, it, it's, it's, you know, on-demand video, it's a podcast. It's like little bite-sized videos and LinkedIn. Uh, and I do think he's done, he's excellent at playing the LinkedIn game. Um, I think you mentioned my kind of, uh, some of my posts that I, that I do on LinkedIn. I think, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that, uh, that was like a, a little bit of experimentation, like me trying to be a uh, game LinkedIn with the kind of the, the long form posting. I think there's a big difference. Like you can actually get a lot more engagement in your LinkedIn posts when you, do kind of like the long form, you know? Uh, and I'm sure everyone's probably seen it. Like, uh, I think it's called Definitely. LinkedIn broetry. People joke about it where it's basically Gosh. someone kind of ranting on something, contra sometimes controversial, or just telling a story. Maybe there's an emotional hook or maybe it's a how-to, but it's a kind of like one sentence, two sentence, three sentence, like a space type of thing, but it works yeah. actually. So I've, I've tested it a number of times over the years. My most recent experiment was uh, in August uh, where I kind of did it daily for a whole month. It's, it's a lot of work, um, did, but, 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 it, but it works. And I, I yeah, your think, posts um, were massive. They were really yeah. long. I was like, this is, this must've <laughs> took some time. So when yeah, you posted well, I, daily, what did that, did you get diluted at all in terms of the amount of views that you're getting? Or did you find that it was actually helping you? Uh, it was helping. And I actually, I, I um, yeah, so like my, 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 you know, you can see on LinkedIn who's viewed me, it went up like a big spike. I do think, um, so I've actually tested it like, uh, like multiple times over the years. And I, I think, uh, probably for a number of reasons, like I think the, the reach was less than it used to be. So I think like, you know, probably for three years in a row, I've done like, you know, probably a handful of posts throughout the year to test it works. And yeah, you know, I've had a few posts that had like 20,000 views. Um, and I think over the summer, my, my 30 day experiment, like the biggest posts got like 7,000 views, but they, and the comments were probably equal. Like I definitely had like posts with, you know, like, uh, you know, high engagement in comments. Um, 
I think maybe maybe you're, maybe the frequency there was like a little bit of dilution, but I actually think two things maybe are another factor, like the the change in like LinkedIn's algorithm. You know, they're probably mm-hmm. you know they're making more room for their paid stuff. It's a big business, uh, and I also think that more people are doing that that long form now. And also, there's like people you know adding another layer in of video, you know, which also tends to get a lot of attention, right? Right. You know? You stop and yeah. see a video, you're on like the same person's thing for like three minutes as opposed to, you know, clicking to read more on my, my posts and, you know, engaging on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, make, it makes a lot of sense. I've definitely noticed uh, uh, like a downtick in terms of what I saw like last year. And during, especially during the pandemic, it was like we were driving a lot of uh, views that way. It went from like a few thousand yeah. now, you know, high hundreds, low thousands. So it's interesting. And, 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 I want to say, like, I think what I did, but I would say more of a social media strategy, because I think if I really wanted to call it community, I would have been a more of a two way street. Like, I actually, I, if I would one up this experiment and do it better, I probably would go back. And in addition to spending like, you know, the, the half an hour a day to kind of write like, you know, a cohesive kind of, you know, rant or story on like an aspect of marketing or my personal life. I probably should spend an equal amount of time like just going around looking at different posts and commenting on people. And then it becomes more exactly. of a community strategy. I also think community strategies are like the number one thing is bringing together someone around a shared purpose. So there needs to be some right. vehicle for it. So I would say that's more of a social media experiment than a, uh, a true community strategy. But like ultimately as a brand, you know, you want to bring together people around kind of, I guess, you know, like, whatever it is that you do, you know, bring people together to, to push that industry forward and, and give them a place right. to congregate and share ideas, um, which. Right. So, I so think, not yeah. just creating the Slack channel, but to actually have like an event, right. Maybe it's a half an hour where you get on the line and you can actually talk to people about certain things and go back and forth about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for sure, like, it, like, yeah, just creating a Slack channel is kind of wishful thinking, build it and they will come. You know, I think you need yeah. to give people some substance you know, and, and like, I, I guess pairing it with some sort of like get together probably makes it more meaningful because then you can kind of like have the event where, you know, people are sharing their thoughts and opinions, they're learning from each other, and then you can continue the conversation, you know, during the week in, in, in like whatever it is, the Facebook group or the Slack channel. Discord is, is increasingly popular with, yeah. you know, young people and gamers. Is... So would you suggest doing that during business hours, after business hours, or does it kind of depend on what that looks like? I think it depends on the audience, right? It depends like when they want to, who you're selling to, like when they want to do it. I mean, like maybe some people want to do it in the evening. If you have like a a younger audience, you know, maybe they want to do it after work. If you have, you know, an audience that's like more mature and they have commitments after you know, 5 p.m., maybe you do it during lunch. You know, Chris Walker right. must have, uh, I, don't, I don't know how he arrived at like 7 p.m. I think his like weekly event is 7 p.m. I never go to it because I have kids and I'm probably putting them to bed around that. But, <laughs> right. but, but uh, you know, um, yeah, I guess yeah, the combination of, I mean, the best way to do it is probably do what your audience wants, right? Right. I think like if you, I see a lot of companies doing webinars there more often than not during the day, um, you know, and, uh, if I had to guess, there's it, there's a data driven answer to why they do it. You know, I, like at least like when I was at Degreed, we were doing, you know, in the last couple of quarters there, we were probably doing something crazy like one webinar a week, and they were always right. happening between 
you know, usually in the afternoon, somewhere between like, I don't know, like 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Um, and yeah, you basically have to test like what, what drives the most attendance and, and stick to a time. Got to get in the trenches and just figure it out, right? <laughs> there's yeah. no right there, or wrong there, there, There's no silver bullet, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. All right. So last question for you. Uh, lessons for aspiring marketers. I definitely want to hear anything that else we didn't put on the table here. Yeah. So I would say, you know, spend time, uh, you know, with people who are practicing, you know, try to be a sponge, learn everything you can, um, you know, go to, I, I found actually, I think as you, as you grow, like, you know, learning from people is a higher leverage thing, but when you're early in your career, you can take courses, you can read books, you can read the blogs, uh, I think if you're starting from complete zero, you know, probably not a har uh, horrible investment to look for some sort of course. And there are all different types of courses, different shapes and sizes. You can probably find, like, if, if you don't have a big budget, you can probably find something on Udemy. Um, and I, I would say you, there's probably a prerequisite there where you want to kind of pick a lane to start in, because most likely, um, you know, you're not going to boil the ocean and learn performance marketing, SEO, like product marketing, event marketing, social media marketing, pick one thing uh, and that should be based on discovery. You know, go out and talk to the marketers, understand what they do, figure out, you know, what you think might fit with your kind of interests and skills and then go try to, uh, you know, maybe take a, a cheap course. Udemy has a lot of things that are like super affordable. The quality is like variable, but like, you know, uh, there's a trick with Udemy specifically, if you find a course you think you like and, and, you know, it's like, you think it's like too expensive, you like walk away and like within two weeks, you'll get some sort of discounted email for like 80% off. Sometimes it works, nice. actually, not for everything. <laughs> um, and then I think, yeah, once you have a foundation, like, you know, you, you can do that. like basically a course or a book, um, you know. I would look for an opportunity to try those skills out. And um, so there, I guess like, yeah, there's like internships. I think when you're early in your career, you can afford to do internships and most of them pay now. I think things are changing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It used to be sure. like internships, like most of them were like unpaid more and more, most of them are paid. So, you know, if you're just out of college, like there's nothing wrong with taking an internship and, and, you know, getting paid 10, 15 bucks an hour, you know, to, to learn for three to six months. And then from there, you know, you, you bust your ass. And while you're like, you know, doing that, you know, make sure to kind of find like groups, you know, so the, the beauty of, of, of marketing is there's a lot of community now. There's Slack channels, there's like blogs, there's newsletters. Um, well, yeah, I would say blogs and newsletters are more for learning, but there's, there's places that are, people are hanging out, you know, talking about marketing. Um, I think there's, I don't know, there's like a million Slack slacks for like different things. So, um, yeah, so I think I would say that and, and it definitely like I, I, when you can, you know, if you can find some people who can be your Yoda, you know, like, and someone you can talk to on a regular basis, like be like a a pseudo mentor or an actual mentor, you know, if you get to, those are, they're few and far between. I think I myself um, did most of my marketing learning on my own, you know, in like the first year or so I would just tinker and experiment. Uh, I would read tinker and experiment or take a course tinker and experiment. But I think the more you can get together, like I think to me, I guess, you know, having a lot of experience in like ed tech and learning, like there's, 
three modalities of learning. There's like the consumption and that's like the watching the video, the reading the blog post, there's the doing it. And then there's talking to people about it. And I think like, you know, talking about those learnings is like pretty meaningful because uh, you can, you know, have interesting conversations about people who've done something similar. They can share some insights and perspective. And um, yeah, so I think yeah, like basically once you've like mastered one lane, you know, then, you know, you can potentially, you know, explore managing a team of people who are doing what you're doing and then, you know, maybe like growing adjacent skills uh, in different areas of marketing. And I think people start all over the place, right? There's no one path, right? I've seen so many people have successful careers um, starting in dis different aspects of marketing. You know, uh, I think different companies like different things, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, popular paths to the top are in demand generation, product marketing. Product marketing is, is a good one. It's very cerebral. It's, it's like, you know, kind of often the brains behind like the marketing organization. And uh, yeah, I think more like companies that are in new products and categories, like a product marketer, you know, to run their marketing team versus say, you know, a demand marketer, which is probably helpful in um, a more established category. Right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love all that advice. I definitely think that's going to be really helpful for people. And I mean, listen, you're, you're the walking testimonial of it, right? You were able to switch things <laughs> up. You went into the trenches, you tinkered around, you figured it out. So, I mean, it's, um, it's awesome to see that. Uh, Brad, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place they can uh, find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, at, uh, yeah, just search for me, Brad Zomix. My last name spelled Z-O-M-I-C-K. Probably the best place. That's that's the place I hang out at the most socially. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So what we'll do is uh, we'll put the link in the uh, in the in the uh, show notes. People can check that out. Uh, Brad, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Dean. It's great to be here and chop it up with you. Keep up the great work. Thanks.